Hello, you are listening to Omnitalk's Retail Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Avalara, Williot, TGW, and Sezzle. Ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally and currently ranked number one, the number one podcast, rather, in all of retail by Feedspot, the Retail Fast Five is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is February 21st, 2024. I'm one of your hosts, Ann Mazinga. And I'm one of your other co-hosts, Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss the most important headlines from the past week that highlight how the physical, digital, and human elements of retail are coming together to shape the future. Chris, we have some very special guests joining us for your favorite podcast each month. Mine as well. Uh, two of, two guests from the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Joanna Ron Garajan and Cassie Riding. Chris, are you excited for these two guests? Oh, yes, I am, man. You, this is definitely my favorite show every month because, I you know, know, we get to sit back and we get to take it all in. We get to take in what the consultants tell us about the headlines each and every week. It adds a whole new element to our show, which is awesome. Absolutely. Well, let's go to our guests. Um, but give us a little bit of your backgrounds. And um, Joanna, we'll start with you. Oh, excellent. Hi, Anne. Hey, Chris. Nice to be back with you. I think it's been a year now. Has it been that long? Wow. I, I think so. It's almost like, you know, to the date. So thanks for, for having me back. Um, it's nice to nice to be here. But I'm a, a partner uh, in the AM Consumer and Retail Group. Um, I spent time in my career in consulting and then uh, a bit on the industry side of things um, at companies like the Children's Place and the J. Crew Group, um, focused you know, mostly on things related to product and development and sourcing. Um, and so you know, that has, has given me a pretty deep background in product operations sort of across a variety of, of business models. And then I've been with CRG uh, coming up on three years now. And uh, in my time here, I've focused mostly on transformational work, uh, really trying to help our clients accelerate um, and, and ideally surpass goals that they have um, and objectives that they've laid out for their success. Uh, and you know, most of my focus is in apparel, actually. Lovely. We have got some questions for you today, Joanna. Uh, Cassie, welcome back to you as well. This is your second time on the show. Tell the audience a little bit about you and your background. Thanks. Yes, very excited to be back for my um, second appearance. Hopefully that's good validation. The first one was not a flop. So my name <laughs> no, is Cassie Oh, it was great. Riding. It was great. <laughs> I'm Cassie Riding. I am a director with CRG. I joined CRG when we were very young back in 2020. I'm a lifelong consultant besides that. Um, so within CRG, I also focus a lot on our large-scale transformations and also a bit of store operations. So, um, you know, excited to talk about these things today. Well, it's great to have you both. That's why we love partnering with the AM Consumer and Retail Group because you guys have a strong background in operations, particularly, which is something that's near and dear to Anne and I's heart. But Anne, before we get started, yes. are there any big announcements we need to tell our listeners about before we start putting the AM consultants on the spot? We absolutely do. In two weeks on March 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern, we have an exceptional event that we have planned from uh, Microsoft. We are inviting two of their lawyers, Chris. Two lawyers, yes. two lawyers two in a room lawyers, at one time. Two lawyers in a room. What are we thinking? We are going to talk about how you should be using AI most responsibly in your job. So we are, we've talked about it for several weeks. Everyone we come across at conferences, we're asking how, you, how you're using AI, how you're using generative AI. And everybody's testing it and playing around, but these guys, they're going to go deep with us on exactly what watchouts you should have, how you should be making sure that you're protecting your company, yourselves, and the work that you're doing using this new technology. Yeah. And it's basically like free legal advice for like an hour, right? Like basically, I was hesitant or, uh, to say yeah, that you know, because I yeah. don't know if we can technically say that, but <laughs> if they're on yes, the clock, if they're you billable. have two lawyers. <laughs> At your disposal, you can ask them any question that you'd like for that one yeah. hour. They happen on to March work for 5th. Microsoft, but yes, yes. But they are they are they are actual lawyers on the cloud. Yes. That's great. March fifth, so awesome. one p.m. Eastern. Make sure you go to our LinkedIn page, Omnitalk Retail, uh, to sign up for that event. 
All right, Chris, I think it's time. I think it's yeah, time we, to put, let's put just get to the to show. The let's All right, let's and let's do it. But before we get to the headlines, of course, today's headlines are again brought to you by Shop Talk, and we've got some big news. Shop Talk has released their final agenda, and Anne, yes, we are on there. Everyone, yeah, you please- know who else? This is cool. the only time in our lives, Chris, where we're going to be on the same banner as Ludacris. Ludacris. Okay? I know. Yes. It's so it's Ludacris. Ludacris. Yes. Chris Walton and Ann Mazinga and some yes. other people. Yes. In that order, for sure. Or no, <laughs> definitely Ludacris first. But anyway, we're on there. Go check it out online uh, where you can also grab a ticket to come hear us on stage. We're speaking alongside what is actually 225 predominantly C-suite speakers from all corners of retail. And here's the kicker. Shop Talk ticket prices are going up this Friday, February 23rd, and the selections process for the Meetup Networking Program, which we talked about last week, kicks off this coming Monday, February 26th. So you're going to want to get in on it. So head on over to shopdoc.com right now to save money and make sure your profile is visible when people start grabbing those coveted meetup spots. Retailers and brands can use our code OMNITALK, that's O. M-N-I-T-A-L-K to save an extra 10% off current rates. Just head to shoptalk.com slash US and book your ticket today. That's shoptalk.com slash US and book your ticket today. And and I'm super excited because I am opening the show on Monday with the keynote uh, panel moderating uh, with uh, Maria Renz of Google. I am so excited for that, Google, as I think you, as you believe, is doing some really great things in the world of commerce. So I can't wait to talk to her. So everyone come by, stop by, check out the show, use our code to register. All right. Today, we've got news on Target's new deal-worthy brand. Hmm. Starbucks and Bank of America's new loyalty partnership. Hasbro's drastic skew reduction. Walmart's nationwide EV charging network plans. But we begin today with even bigger news out of Walmart. And Anne, I cannot wait to talk about this one. I am anxious with bated breath. Yes. Well, Chris, let's go to headline number one then. Walmart released Q4 earnings yesterday, and here are some of the key callouts. According to CNBC, comp sales rose 4% for Walmart US. Global e-commerce sales jumped 23% year over year, topping $100 billion in total. CFO John David Rainey backed away from predictions surrounding deflation, saying, quote, the possibility of overall deflation still remains, but prices are more stable than where they were three months ago, end quote. But perhaps most strikingly, Walmart confirmed plans that it will acquire smart TV maker Vizio to accelerate the growth of its advertising business, a business which grew at a remarkable rate of 33% globally and hit 22% in the U.S. year over year. Wow. Uh, Joanna, we're going to go to you first here. Um, what are your quick thoughts on Walmart overall? And then more specifically, what are your thoughts on the Vizio acquisition? Um, I mean, first of all, wow. You know, yeah. Walmart, just wow. And, you know, round of applause, right? I, I think they have just really proven what it's like to stand out in, in such a tough, you know, backdrop of, you know, higher inflation and reduced discretionary spend. And so, you know, I think it harkens back to, you know, the tried and true low price guarantee that they've, they've continued to tout. Um, I think, you know, despite what we're seeing in, um, lower overall spending, we are seeing that uptick in transactions and that definitely benefited um, benefited them as well. And then we've watched them in recent years um, really lean into new ways of doing business, right? And so that comes with e-commerce and the and the marketplace platform and, and the advertising and that you mentioned as well. And so I think they're continuing to look for ways to sort of reinvent. If we pivot to um, the specific Vizio partnership and, and acquisition there, I think um, it's no surprise that they're looking for something like that. They're continuing to look at growth opportunities. And again, the 33% that you mentioned on advertising makes sense that they're going to lean to something that harkens you know, profitability. 
They've grown grocery notoriously low margin. They've been operating e-commerce, you know, with with losing profitability recently. And so they're doing that. I think the Vizio brings them back into some some high margin space in in the ads with probably uh, subscribers that are right in their sweet spot, given that Vizio is, you know, a value, a value mm-hmm. brand of, of television. So. Uh, I think that's that's where they are. And they've got, I think, 18 million subscribers or so in Vizio. So if they're not already Walmart shoppers, they they may very well become them. Joanne, I think you bring up some really good points, especially with the Vizio acquisition, because you look at, you know, 18 million active accounts at the, you know, at the end of just last year. Plus, I think that you look at the comprehensive data that they'll have about consumers. So not just the data that they can offer on their retail media platform of what shoppers are doing in store, but then once you tie that to what they're doing in their actions that they're doing at home on a device that they're using almost daily, if not multiple times a day. Um, so I think there's so much, I love how you're hitting on how much opportunity there is here as well. Um, Chris, you were, you were also in agreement, uh, as Joanna was talking, what are your thoughts on, on the news from Walmart and especially this acquisition? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the earnings news is no surprise. I mean, we've been talking mm-hmm. about how Walmart is just killing it and, you know, Doug McMillan and Doug McMillan, maybe like not retail CEO of the year, but CEO of the year of everywhere you know he's doing so well so and they're just crushing it so um and it's standout results you know for the most part so but let's go back to Vizio I think Vizio is an incredibly interesting play to me Mm -hmm. um and Joanna said it it's it's the affordable tv maker right so you know with that you get you get the automatic Walmart app install for sure it even gives Walmart some distribution control over what is a holiday doorbuster essentially so from a merchandising perspective there is value in that especially mm-hmm. because it is kind of the bargain basement low price tv or one of the options in that arena but i think to me and this is where i'm going to go kind of hot take on this right out of the get go and so i hope you're ready for this but I think it signals to me something much, much bigger, which I think it signals to me that Walmart may actually be going after original content. And let mm-hmm. me let me explain why. Because otherwise, like, why would Walmart do this? You you can't unlock, you can't like keep other apps off the TV, right? So if people want to get a Vizio, they can still download Amazon Prime, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just like make them exclusive to Walmart Plus as an example. And there's really no point in Walmart trying to become a TV manufacturer, like, yeah, there's some value there potentially, but but it's it's a big it's a big get really when you think about it. So so but it does give them the option value of getting into home with content when that day comes, like when they stand up that studio, when they stand up that content production arm, similar to Amazon Prime, because the media and the control of the content is what the future is about. Mm-hmm. So I think the way McMillan's thinking about this is like two billion dollars option value gives us the play to get in the homes more securely in the long run. It's a long-term play. If it doesn't work, who cares? No big loss. We still have a great TV manufacturer in our in our stable. We're good to go. And you got to think too, remember they debuted the content in the beginning of the fall last year, the holiday ad yeah. to cart thing. So like, I think their minds are potentially going there. It's just, this is like an early stage kind of option value play in my opinion. That's oh, my take. Man. I cannot get on board with that. I'm sorry. I still think that the value there, the value is blatant in that it's, they can have this 360 picture of their customer. Like, yes, they could get into content, I suppose, but oh man, if this last year was any indicator of the type of content they're putting out, I am not hopeful for Walmart's ability to compete with the likes of Amazon and Netflix and some of the other creators out there. Buy a studio. uh, Cassie, take us home on this. Where do you come down on the, the news from Walmart? No, I wasn't thinking of that angle, Chris, but I mean, what I was really thinking about is how Walmart always wants to think about the customer experience as they're leaning into advertising, not forgetting about the customer experience. So that did kind of trigger, maybe that is the route they're going to, because they want to focus on customer first. And so without pushing advertising down their customers' throats, they can actually use it as a platform rather than, you know, all those additive benefits, but their customers are getting a lot more out of it. So I think um, we'll see what happens with it. Yeah, it's an interesting move. Like it's not, it's not a I need to go that direction, but it gives me the option to go there if I should want to down the road. So that's what I like about it. They have a TV producer, right? Like they don't have to have a TV company to in order to do that. Like they they could be doing that now in theory if that was really the angle that they wanted to go after, right? 
They could be, but the interesting thing is the TV as the substrate that is in the homes of their clientele too, because mm -hmm. Vizio is strictly aligned with their demographic too. So it enables them to have that app down, app already installed on the TV, all that content already piped into the people that have Vizio throughout America. So that's what Can I like. Can you tell about I it, just but... don't want content from Walmart? Can you tell that I've been burned so bad by the the ring ring from yeah. Well, that was year. that was specifically shoppable content, but you sure. know, you, they could get into like you know, am, I mean, what's the what the heck? What's the barrier entry on great content? You just need to yeah. hire right people, right? Really yep. smart people to produce content. Mm -hmm. So, or acquire a studio too. So, all right, well, that was fun. All right, we're starting off hot today. Headline number two. This one's gonna be a blast too. And this headline is possibly stemming from Walmart's recent success. I might add, Target has introduced a new brand, Dealworthy, with a lowercase D that is meant to feature low prices on everyday basics. According to a press release on PR Newswire, Dealworthy is designed to give consumers incredible value on nearly 400 everyday basics. The Dealworthy assortment spans apparel and accessories, essentials and beauty, electronics, and home items. Starting at less than a dollar and with most products priced under $10, the prices on Dealworthy items are among the lowest guests will find across Target's assortment. The first deal-worthy products will arrive in February in stores and on Target.com, and new products will continue to be introduced throughout 2024 and early 2025, including power cords, undergarments, socks, laundry detergent, dish soap, and more. A cornucopia of delights. And Joanna, we're going to go back to you. Is deal-worthy, noteworthy, pun very much intended? Pun intended, appreciated this early morning. Um, I think it's watchworthy. Um, watchworthy. I think it's watchworthy. I think it's it's really, you know, interesting. I think once again, you know, we're seeing the impact of the the economic climate and and how retailers are are really forecasting that this this trend is going to go forward for a longer cycle. And so, you know, retailers are recognizing that they have to tailor and adjust the assortments that they're offering accordingly. Now for Target, you know, they're not, um, they're no stranger to owned brands, right? They have, I think about a portfolio of about 45 um, of their own brands. So it makes sense for them to go after a real value segment, which does seem to be, you know, taking great value on uh, potentially mm. head on. Um, it also seems to really try and be, be taking a bit of share from, you know, dollar store, dollar general, um, as well, where they might be able to attract some new customers with these really, really compelling price points and or offer customers who already love their experience, but maybe a little pinched, you know, to trade down within their own stores. Um, I think what's what's interesting and noteworthy about how they're doing this compared to, you know, 2018 when they launched smartly and they tried, you know, yes. their hand at, you know, a real value play there. Um, you know, that had sort of a confusing positioning statement um, and a really weak assortment. Smartly launched with 70 products. They came out of the gate and said, Dealworthy is going to have 400. So right. they're learning, I think, from, you know, kind of what flopped in that and, and trying to bring this in. The last thing I think of note is very interesting to me is the timing. And the fact that they've announced this a week after announcing the relaunch of Up and Up. Uh, which is, of course, their everyday essentials brand. And mm -hmm. so while the prices of that are a little bit higher, it looks like they're really trying to capture, you know, a pretty significant end of that that value spectrum with both Dealworthy and the up and up revamp. So you think it's a blatant play to go after the dollar store business and and to to shore up the shore up the defenses against Walmart in the in the low price traffic here then that's essentially what this is this is that that type of move Joanna I think that yes they're they're definitely trying to to capture the the sharp value end you know our um the AM CRG kind of consumer sentiment survey that we put out at the end of last year told us mm. all around you know consumer spending is is definitely shifting back to basics back to essentials that's where consumers are willing to open the wallet um and we're also seeing um, that, you know, increased prices continue to be the barrier to spend. So as retailers are trying to grapple with that, having an assortment directly um, addressing some sharp price points that they did not have a brand in their 45 brand portfolio to do, 
seems to be trying to take that on and, and react to consumer sentiment. So net net, do you like this move? Um, do I like it? Sure. Yeah. I, I don't, right. you know, I think that Target has tried to play in a lot of different spaces. And I think yeah. they found, I mean, 30, 30 billion in revenue in their private brand stable is, is nothing to sneeze at. I think they know what they're doing. No. And, um, and the fact like that they're going business. after no frills basics mm -hmm. makes sense to me if they mm -hmm. were going to launch another one. All right, Cassie, let's let you in on this one. What do you think? Do you, do you, do you like this move? What else would you add here? I mean, overall, I agree with everything that Joanna says. I mean, in my mind though, is it, you know, a Hail Mary to get these customers back? We, you know, we're seeing the dollar formatters actually seeing people, new customers there and then turn into repeat customers. So those are often customers that we have seen, you know, maybe that cannot afford to go into even the up and up brand at Target as the, mm -hmm. you know their basics. And so is this their play to get them back and get them back in stores? And everyone loves that Target adventure of maybe adding one more thing in your cart. So um, I think it's, you know, a necessary play if they need to do it. Is it going to, to work out? And are they going to be able to win these customers back potentially? Uh, I guess time will tell. Uh, I do think that, you know, it will be interesting to some of the customers that haven't been able to have had to kind of trade down more to the dollar format to get into that, you know, those everyday essentials. Um, I just think it's a little bit confusing to the the customers who maybe are seeing before up and up as their, you know, lowest brand. And now they're going, oh, we're cutting under into something else. If you are an up and up customer, do you trade down now? Um, so I think there might be a bit of confusion at the beginning, uh, but I think, you know, it was potentially a necessary play. Yeah, because I think the one thing that people don't always understand too is the overlap between the Walmart and the Target customer particularly, and then by default, probably the Dollar General customer too, is very significant, you know? And and looking at Walmart's announcement that we just talked about and how they're having success, there, there's probably a real factor going on there in, in that regard. So, so Anne, what do you think though? You've been sitting sitting on the sidelines here for a little bit. What do you think? Do you agree with, with these two or do you want to add anything else? I think it makes sense. And I understand the strategy of giving a mm -hmm. good, better, best option for people like Cassie and Joanna are talking about to bring people in like fine. If you want to do the deal worthy for paper plates, household cleaning items, et cetera. But where I don't like this is in apparel, especially I think apparel mm. is a terrible place to be doing this because you already have products with the universal thread line, you know, uh, wild fable like you're already doing tank tops for eight dollars five dollars whatever it might be and that feels still like the target of target and i think right. that with taking this into other categories i'd even argue like some electronics and home items do not need to be included in the deal worthy i wouldn't go 400 SKUs. i think i would keep it at just bring the bring the price point down then for the universal thread tank top to five dollars versus you know putting a new label on it that doesn't, that feels diminished and doesn't feel good. I think targets ownership in the market is that you expect more pay less. You have a yes. premium brand for things. Yes. And I just think that this is cutting, you're cutting it down to a level that doesn't need to be there. I feel like I'm getting a nicer product for at, you know, a nicer tank top at target than I do at Walmart. And I, I think that that's, that's going to be a big miss mm. here, but Joanna, I mean, I defer to you too. You're the you're the apparel expert here, but maybe I'm off. I think I think you're onto something in terms of the the categories. And what they didn't say in the announcement is how many of the 400 are playing yeah. in which categories. Yeah. It's also they gave themselves plenty of time to roll out. Right. They said this is going to happen throughout 24 and into yeah. 25. So we're not going to see a huge drop. I think if they're rolling it out wisely, they're going to start in categories and that you're talking about where people are a little less brand loyal, quite mm -hmm. price sensitive, and and they're going to see the response there. Um, they also, though, did make a point to say that Dealworthy is part of their overall umbrella around, you know, the one-year guarantee. Mm -hmm. So it does seem like they're trying for whatever they put out there in apparel, that they're saying the quality is still going to be something, you know, that you expect. But yeah. they've got a lot of very affordable apparel, and I feel the same way about it when I when I shop their apparel lines yeah. that you mentioned. Yeah. Real quick, I mean, like that's I, those last two points I think are really important because 
you know, you talked about it, you talk about a merchant architecture, right? Like there's good, better, best. This is OPP good, better, best. That's where they're mm -hmm. positioning this is is the opening price point. It's really, and Joanna, you said at the outset, it's really a smartly rebrand. They're just bolstering the rebrand. They're trying to rebrand that category and they're trying to make it more expansive in terms of what they're trying to go after here. And and the part that I agree with Anne on too is like, I don't like, I don't like the branding of it. Like the 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 over deal branding play doesn't feel very target to me because by calling something deal worthy, especially in apparel, you're basically saying like, this is what's deal worthy. Anything else is not, which mm -hmm. doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So um, it's not a position that I think you want to be playing in or shoring up because then you're driving people to OPP in the long run. And that's not good for you either. So right. short-term play could be, could be dangerous, you know, here as things go forward. So I don't know. All right. Well, we'll, we listen to the conversation we've been having already so much robust discussion here. And so I guess it is noteworthy. Headlines. Yes. All <laughs> right. Let's go to Chris. Yes. <laughs> Let's go to headline number three. Bank of America and Starbucks are teaming up on their loyalty programs. According to Chain Storage, Starbucks rewards members who are also Bank of America cardholders can link their accounts for additional benefits. Starbucks rewards members can earn 2% cash back on top of the rewards or card benefits they already receive on qualifying purchase. And one Starbucks reward star point per $2 spent at Starbucks when they link an eligible Bank of America debit or credit card with their Starbucks Rewards account. This new program is open to currently enrolled Starbucks Rewards members and Bank of America cardholders, as well as new members or cardholders. And Bank of America is offering it through its Bank Ameradeals loyalty program. Uh, Cassie, that was a mouthful, but uh, if you can make sense of what I just read, uh, what do you think of this move and what are your thoughts more broadly on credit card loyalty programs? Are they this untapped gold mine in the CPG retail media landscape? Well, I will say I, I am a customer of both and I have not added this deal yet. Um, maybe I will continue to think about this after, but I think when we're thinking about the Starbucks Bank of America deal, we have to think of what Starbucks is trying to get out of this. Are they trying to, I think I've seen some quotes saying they're trying to reward their loyal customers. Is that truly the, the, drip, the drive there? Are they trying to bring back customers? I know we've seen a number of customers in the last you know few months actually be leaving Starbucks to go elsewhere. Or is it a play to get them back? Or is it more of a play to make sure that everyone is actually using their rewards program and you know they're getting the data on their customers because they're using their app and they're and they're making their orders through their um, that platform? You know what's the ultimate goal there? I think that the Starbucks um, rewards app has actually been a, you know a huge success. I think there's been huge year over year growth for the last few years. So you know we can't argue that, and they continue to bring on new users, which is ultimately going to improve their you know customer experience, get more data on them. Yeah. Is it actually driving more Starbucks customers? I'm not sure. I don't know if the incentive is enough to to bring people on and to bring people back um, to make people use their Bank of America card over that. The, the value of a star, I don't know if that's truly enough. And I think then that kind of goes to any of these type of programs that someone's trying to design. Is the incentive aligned to make it you know, enough of that, that hurdle for someone to go through the steps of linking their card. I think it's obviously going to be a great play to make sure you can learn more about your customers, but it has to be a, a good enough incentive for your customer to go through those and to get out of their normal you know, habits of how they would typically pay. So yeah. I don't think everyone needs to be running towards this, um, but I don't think it's a, it's a bad idea to you know, include it in as a program. Cassie, I have to ask you, like anecdotally, do you... Do you look for the deals on your credit card? Are the people like, is that something that you're like, all right, I'm going to add this to my Bank of America card. Are you familiar with the deals platform? I'm I'm familiar with a few. I think more so the ones you, you hear about, the ones that are like the, the better deals. I think maybe sure. through friends or, you know, online, someone might be, you know, on, on Instagram or TikTok, you have some influencer saying that this is a great deal. But the ones that are truly not adding significant value, you're actually right. getting, you know, a few dollar boost from it. I mean, I don't, I don't think most people are going through the time for that. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, Joanna, how about you? I know. Well, I'm, I'm, I have to, that's why I asked Cassie because she's probably representative of the norm of people. Not, I know I'm very much on the outskirts here. Um, Joanna, what about you? Do you go for the for the bank of America, Ameridials or other American express deals? Like, where do you land on that and on this uh, this partnership between Bank of America and Starbucks? 
Yeah, I so I'm an Amex woman, so I I am all about their deals. I will yes. you know cycle through and and add those to the card um, frequently. So <laughs> I, I'm kind of in Anne's camp um, on that one. I think that this wasn't you know surprising that Starbucks is doing this. They seem to have a little bit of a gap given um, that Chase Sunset the Chase Starbucks reward uh, visa, I think last year. So they needed to sort of fill mm. that. Um, I believe, you know, the fact that they've played in the space with credit cards, and I think they still have a deal with Delta Sky Miles. Yeah. That, so they're, they still, they're familiar with some of what could be pitfalls in terms of privacy data and, and um, concerns about that. But ultimately, there has to be a meaningful ROI here. And so I think, you know, whether it's there's a little bit of gold here or it's a gold mine really yes. depends on on the execution and how well they're able to stand out given so many other loyalty programs that are out there. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you think, Joanna, like, look at what Starbucks did for mobile ordering. They could get people on the bandwagon for adding deals to the card. But is it like Cassie's saying, is it enough? Is it worth it? Is it worth the time to make an impact here? But Chris, I know we've been do we've been covering this. We've just did yeah. an interview that I'm sure you're going to talk about here, but what are your thoughts on this announcement this week? Seemed very, yeah, very timely. Yeah. I was excited to talk about this too, because I, I actually do think this whole idea is an un untapped gold mine for the CPGs and the retail media networks. Um, and the reason I say that is we've got a podcast dropping next week on Tuesday. And it's a great podcast, everybody. It's with Tom Burgess of Snip Media. Mm -hmm. And so, I, and and what it what it tells us is that, and what we learned through that podcast, Ian, right, is like the CPGs haven't fully started targeting deals through these mobile banking interfaces. It's just not something that they're doing right now. And the reason that they probably will start to do that is, as Cassie mentioned, that the data is 100% attributable because of the credit card information, mm -hmm. right? And so you can you can think about this in a whole host of ways. Like the CPGs can stand up deals. The retailers can partner with banks to, to kind of white label their retail media network offers as part of what the banks are offering through these loyalty apps in their programs. So so I... I I think it's I think it's gonna have a lot of mileage here, and Starbucks Starbucks is kind of doing that. They're kind of doing the old school way, but like it's an important topic to bring up because we're gonna start to see more and more of this. And Anne, you like it as well because, as I learned on the podcast, that we're gonna we're kind of teasing it now too. You like it too because it's easier to use, right? Like For sure. you don't have to go to you don't have to like take a picture of your receipt. You don't have to like go to another app. It just happens by default, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the real benefit here is like Joanna said, I'm an American Express card holder too and that's something that I I'm checking constantly 3-4 times a week just to, you know, get a picture of that and those deals are right there. And if they apply to places that you routinely go like a Starbucks, it makes sense for me to just be able to quickly add that. But then also, I think the other part of this is for the banks, it's a huge advantage, which Tom Burgess talked about in that as well, because top of wallet, now, now my reloadable card is always defaulting every single week to that Bank of America right. card, which is a huge benefit to the banks. So I think there's a lot of momentum behind this if they can get the customers on board and if they make it a value, a, a decent value proposition for the consumers. All right. Well, let's let's take a quick break to talk about another conference we're going to because it is conference o'clock, and it's the start oh, yes. of the new year. And we yes. have a conference to go to, it seems like, every week. And we have another great show we're headed to this June, and you should all join us there as well. You, yes, you can dive into the future of retail, e-commerce, and tech at the 2024 Commerce Next Growth Show. Join us on June 11th to 13th, 2024 in New York City to discuss topics like AI use cases in marketing and e-commerce, modernizing traditional marketing, elevating customer acquisition, omnichannel retail experience, and so much more across 60 plus sessions. Scaled retailers and brands can register for free with code FAST5 in the referral fee field. That's FAST space five in the referral field. Secure your spot now at commercenext.com slash conference. And don't forget to use our code FAST5. All right, and headline number four, I'm super excited to talk about this one too. Hasbro has cut its SKU count in half as its sales fell 23% in Q4. 
According to Retail Dive, Hasbro Inc.'s revenue fell 23% to about $1.29 billion during the fourth quarter. And Hasbro also posted an operating loss of another $1.2 billion. Ouch. Hasbro's full year outlook anticipates revenue for its consumer product segment will also be down 7 to 12% this year. Oh boy. And the company also raised its cost cutting target to $750 million from its previous goal of $350 million to $400 million by the end of 2025. But that's good for culture. In addition, another part of the company's long term revamp included eliminating half of its SKUs. Hasbro said these SKUs represented just 2% of revenue and were duplicative and unprofitable for the company and for retailers. Joanna, we're going to go back to you on this one. 50%, I got to tell you, that seems pretty darn drastic. What do you think the intent is here? Yeah, 50% sounds uh, drastic, but it it sounds like it's a, you know, a right move likely for them, a painful but necessary, a little bit of just take the medicine, if you will. Um, I think, you know, what is the intent? It, it's very clear. It's focus. It's focus. It's simplification. It's streamlining um, so that they can focus assets, time, operations towards things that are driving profit. You know, this is not something um, strange for us. We have a lot of clients who are grappling with sort of this hangover of, yeah. uh, of too many, too many skews after facing sort of several years of the philosophy of more is more, you know, more is more is more um, in an attempt to return to sort of pre-COVID recovery. And then they're left with, you know, highly unproductive skews that they need to, they need to call. Now, good retail hygiene says I'm monitoring my SKUs. Right. I'm monitoring the profitability of them. And I am cleaning, cleaning that up because you think about all of the capital that every SKU takes, even once you have it to market, but then I'm managing the SKU, I'm managing the pricing, I'm possibly promoting it, you know, and so they're, they're they are expensive to maintain. So it feels like they took a real discerning look at their situation. They said, I'm, this is not where I'm going to make money. And so let me go ahead and clean up so I can focus on areas where I can, because they did have a few bright spots in their portfolio, um, you know, in things like winners, like in digital games with Monopoly right. Go, which I think was, you know, right around 800 million um, in revenue in the fourth quarter. So they have some bright spots. They just need to refocus. And it seems like they're trying to do that. But with 50%, let me push you on this a little bit. Did they take a surgical look or did they just basically like scorch earth it and be like, we're starting over? Like it's it's more kind of the latter, right? Like it, it, when you're that drastic. I don't, I don't know that that's a safe assumption. I think okay. you can be very discerning about it. You know, if, if they did more of a, we're lopping off 20% and it sounds like the 80, 20, I would mm. actually be more and more mm. inclined that's to interesting. agree with you that it was just kind of a lop, but if they've really gone through and the fact that they used in their press release, the terminology that these are duplicative or, or redundant tells me that they looked not just at the revenue they're generating and, and the profit loss, but mm -hmm. that they, they believe they have something else in the portfolio that, that people are buying. And so that tells me a little that they may have been more surgical than not. 50 just sounds so drastic because it sounds like they haven't done this in a long time. Yeah, right. I know. It's kind of crazy. I've, I've never, I can't remember seeing a, a, a skew reduction this large. But Anne, what do you think? I mean, it seems to me like a smart way to clean house. You and think look so? At what the strategy is going to be going forward? Um, I'm I'm over my skis in terms of like what the skew cut should be, um, but from a marketer's perspective, I think when you talk about we're going back to the Walmart creating content, I think as a marketer for and a content creator for Hasbro, cutting these skews likely gives me more. Uh, more resources to apply to content partnerships and digital partnerships like Joanna alluded to, to really bolster this brand and get people involved in purchasing those SKUs that are paying off for them. So that's where my head goes is like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta get out of just 
repeat, rinse and repeat with the same SKUs over and over again and start to think about how you extend this beyond just the toy that I'm purchasing on the shelf. That's an interesting argument. I mean, it actually makes you wonder like, what is the future of toys? Like is the future of toys in more digital than actually hard produced SKUs too? Is that part of the story here too as well? Cassie, what do you think? Do you have another angle to take this discussion in? Yeah, well, I I think there was something that those that half of those SKUs actually are only two percent of revenue. So yeah. when I saw that, I was I wasn't sure if I should think this is a consultant's dream or a consultant's nightmare because there's right. there's a lot of things that can be fixed there. Um, but and a lot of quick wins, which is also always um good when we see stuff like that. So I think because they've increased their cost cutting targets, I know pretty significantly, maybe um, you know doubling it. I think for their by end of twenty twenty five, this will really help drive that, and so. No, at least they can do this refocus on their core. And I think, you know, by coming back to that, um, will hopefully, you know, realign themselves and, and get back on track. Okay. Wow. I'm going to go in the opposite direction here. I think this is the canary in the coal mine. I think, I think this is a signal to me that the leadership team, which hasn't been at the helm that long, the new CEO came in in February of 2022. I think he isn't long for the road. I mean, I think 50% is just so drastic. It's why you never hear that. And the only reason I think you would do it, honestly, is because you want to wipe the slate clean and start over. And it also kind of feels like an arrogant statement to make from a CEO as well. Like, hey, we just clean house 50%. They only do 2% of the business. Like, let's just- I love the voice just, that you're using for their CEO. Yeah, yeah. Very well, I know, but that's just like, that's how that's how, that's how hey, the stuff gets done, right? You know, and so, and his experience is weird too. His experience is like he was president of the Wizards of Coast and a longtime Microsoft employee. So- it's hard for me to believe that that a brand like Hasbro, with all the properties it has, that that they got things so far out of whack so quickly. And so I just think there's going to be more fallout to come from this. But I, I don't know. That's my prediction. Any any last thoughts on 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 that? Tell me why I'm right or wrong. No, I just want to. No. All right. Let's happens. move on, Ann. All right. Headline number five. Walmart is rolling out its coast to coast network of EV fast chargers. According to Electric. Walmart is kicking off plans to build or remodel hundreds of stores in the U.S., and those plans include installing DC fast chargers. Now, Walmart is hitting the ground running. It says it's going to remodel 650 stores across 47 states and Puerto Rico over the next 12 months and build or convert more than 150 stores in the next five years. DC fast charger installation is included in that plan. The retailer stated it's quote, working on developing a coast to coast network of affordable electric vehicle, fast charging stations that we hope will make EV ownership a more convenient and accessible choice for Walmart customers and associates end quote. Cassie, we're going to you first on this. Uh, is installing fast charger something on which other retailers should rush to follow Walmart or how do you advise your clients to think about electrification? You know, whenever you see Walmart doing something, everyone, especially, you know, we we started off the show talking about how how great their results are. You know, everyone's going to naturally think, you know, is there a version of this for me? Um, I think for Walmart, yes. You know, I think 90% of, you know, Americans live within 10 miles of a Walmart or something mm -hmm. like that. So it's a great signal from Walmart that they are committed to sustainability. They're able to get their customers in. It takes, you know, 20 minutes to an hour, I believe, for these fast chargers to go. So that's, you know, perfect time for your Walmart trip. So so for them, it makes sense. Maybe for some grocers, there's a play there that that's, you know, the right amount of time. I don't see at the same scale that there are a lot of other retailers that it would make sense to independently be going after this. I think there's yeah. a lot of other partnership opportunities. So, you know, there's Electrify America, which is also already partnering, I think, with Target and Kroger that's installed. I think, you know, in the past, they may have had a Walmart partnership. So maybe the, the partnership route, but in terms of actually installing their own, there are very few retailers that are going to have the scale to be able to actually, you know, commit to the installation and then the yeah. upkeep the payment platform that's necessary, all of that. And, you know, it, it's not, yeah. it's not, it's not necessary for them to do alone. So, you know, why not work with the experts out there rather than, you know, go at it in house. But for Walmart, I see it for others. I just, I'm not sure that we would be advising for them to go after alone. Fair. Yeah. Joanna, where, what are your thoughts here? Do you agree with what Cassie was saying? 
Um, the, yeah, to some degree, I think that the partnerships is the right is the right approach. I mean, even with what Walmart already has installed, the majority of those are exclusively owned and managed by Electrify America. So, and they bore the brunt of a lot of the cost to do the installs. So, I think you know Cassie's absolutely onto something in terms of the partnership to help with the build out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how fast? I think Walmart's statement was they're doing this over five years. I think so much can change in five years in terms of how charging is done, battery improvement and all that. Right. And so, you know, my question is less about doing it and more, you know, do you want to commit to sort of that scale over the time period that I think the horizon is going to look very different? Yeah. You know, five That's... years ago to now is very different. So I, it's more about how much they're rolling out as opposed to whether or not it makes sense, just given proximity and scale. Yeah, I think you've, when I first heard this, I was thrilled because when we were at the National Association of Convenience Stores just back in October, it was really interesting to hear like, yes, EV is is something that we want in this country. We want to expand it. However, the infrastructure is not there. And to Cassie's point, you know, with 90% of Americans living within 10 miles of a Walmart, this does, and and over 4,000 Walmarts all over the country, like this does start to build an infrastructure that could support, especially in the rural communities, which is where we're missing out on a lot of these charging stations. It does start to build an infrastructure to make EV charging more accessible and, and EV, um, purchasing of vehicles much more accessible. I also think that there's a lot of opportunities here for Walmart to add some benefits into this, like, you know, with your Walmart plus membership, do you get to reserve stations? You get priority over other customers. If you're, you know, a part of this and definitely gets you to choose Walmart over another retailer, if you can accomplish two things in one spot. So I, I do like it. I think it's really good to hear from Cassie and from Joanna, like to temper the, the real realities of, is this the right move? And is this the right time? Definitely not for everybody, but for Walmart, it seems like it's a great move. Um, Chris, give you the last word here. Any other? Yeah. I don't have a lot to add. I think the Walmart, I think the Walmart plus angle is brilliant. I mean, it gives them another hook to that eventually, you know, as they get it going. And the other thing I'd add too, is it gives you another substrate. Now there's probably technicalities in how it all works, but another substrate from which you can talk to your consumer via your media network too, because they're, you know, at those pumps for a long time as well. There's a lot of content you can serve up that way. So, you know, from both those angles, the Walmart plus play and the media side, I, I love this. And I think it's a commendable move from Walmart. Again, no surprise. We've been lauding them on the show, you know, consistently for a long time now. Right. All right, you guys, let's get to the lightning round. First question goes to you, Joanna. Coca-Cola is launching Coca-Cola Spiced this week, which features a refreshing burst of raspberry, which is combined with the iconic Coca-Cola formula. Consumers will taste the raspberry followed by the warm spiced flavor. Are you in or out with Coca-Cola spice, Joanna? Um, I'm not a huge soda person in general, and I do like a good cherry Coke if I do have it. So I'm yes. kind of a cherry Coke purist. I might be out on the on the spiced, but I wish I had heard about this over the holidays because with some vodka, it might have made a really good Yeah, that's right. all right. All right. Yeah, all yeah. right. Good call. Good call. <laughs> All right, Cassie, next one's for you. The average payout for a lost tooth recently hit a record $6.23 in 2023, which is up from $5.36 in 2022, according to a recent poll. And you can tell it's it's real because those are actual dollars and cents numbers that are tracked over time. So my question for you is this. When you were a kid, what were Cassie's canines going for? I think I only got a dollar or two for most of my teeth. So I guess my, my parents uh, were... I haven't kept up with inflation compared to these days, but I will say um, I did get five or ten dollars because I let my sister pull out a tooth. So that was my most valuable. Oh, um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Good for you. With what? It, it was hanging on by a thread. And she uh, I think she just wanted to punish me because she thought it would probably hurt. So oh my God. Um, but but somehow I was the one who got the money in that situation. So I, I think I won. Oh so that was God. my most valuable tooth as a kid. Oh, man. All right, Cassie, we're going back to you. I can't wait to hear what your answer is on this one. Uh, NASA is seeking participants for a simulated year-long Mars mission complete with agriculture, fitness, and stress tests, as well as other simulations to see how humans might survive on the red planet. Would you participate? 
My initial thought would be, no, I, you know, I, I like my life on earth, but I am very competitive. Um, I was a collegiate athlete. So I think I, you know, if the challenge was there. I would want to prove that, uh, you know, I was at that top ability of someone who could, could pass this and be able to be chosen for this. So I might have to say I would, I would go for it. Awesome. I love it. All right, let's close it out. So payments recently wrote that biometrics could hit a tipping point at airports in 2024. If that ter turns out to be the case, Joanna, which body part are you most comfortable using for recognition when boarding a plane? I think, Chris, you know, the, the question is, well, who's looking? But <laughs> if, I, if I really think about it, I'm going to go eyes. I, anything that keeps eyes. me from touching yet another thing on... Yeah. In gross Agreed. airplanes, I'm I'm all for. So, uh, I'll do the eye scan. Yeah, I'm with you. Got to be the face. Got to be the face. The eyes. All right. Happy birthday to Billy Baldwin, Jordan Peele, and the man who voiced the most annoying robot in history, the great Anthony Daniels. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it on Me Talk, only retail media outlet run by two former executives from a current top ten U.S. retailer. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our daily newsletter, The Retail Daily Minute, tells you all you need to know each day to stay on top of your game as a retail executive and also regularly features special content that is exclusive to us and that Ann and I take pride in doing just for you. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. You can follow us today by simply going to youtube.com slash Retail. Joanna, if people liked what you and Cassie had to say, they want to get in touch with the AM Consumer and Retail Group, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can certainly find Cassie and me on LinkedIn for sure. Um, or they can come to our website, which is alvarezandmarsal-crg.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining us today on behalf of Cassie, Joanna, the NM Consumer and Retail Group, and Anne and myself and all of us at OmniTalk Retail. As always, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is brought to you in association with the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experienced tools and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Avalara. Avalara makes tax compliance faster, easier, more accurate, and more reliable for 30,000 plus business and government customers in over 90 countries. Avalara leverages 1,200 plus signed partner integrations to power tax calculations, document management, tax return filing, and tax content access. Visit avalara.com to improve your compliance journey. And Williot. Williot's ambient IoT visibility platform, powered by battery-free Bluetooth tags, eliminates scanning for real-time end-to-end inventory visibility. For more information, head to williot.com/omnitalk. And TGW. Revolutionize your grocery supply chain with TGW. Their experts tailor automation solutions to fit your needs, ensuring you have the edge. Work with TGW before your competition does. Discover more at tgw-group.com. And finally, Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit sezzle.com.